Isaiah chapter 63 and verse 7. I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord. These are the words of Isaiah. I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord hath bestowed on us and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which He hath bestowed on them according to His mercies and according to the multitude of His loving kindnesses. For He said... Surely they are my people, children that will not lie. So he was their Savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. And he bare them and carried them all the days of old. Isn't that wonderful? How God took care of these people. How God watched over these people and loved these people and forgave these people and carried these people. But, verse 10, they rebelled and vexed His Holy Spirit. Therefore, He was turned to be their enemy. And he fought against them. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? The God that carried them and loved them and forgave them and redeemed them, that same God, because they rebelled against him, he turned against them. Now, tonight I want to talk about sin, this subject, sinning against the Holy Spirit. And we're going to run through this pretty quickly, considering the territory we're going to cover. But that's the, we see the language here in verse 10. We'll see similar language in the New Testament. And vexed His Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit worked in those people. He worked for those people. He anointed those people. He used those people. But when they rebelled... God turned against them. That doesn't mean God disowned them. That didn't mean they ceased to be His people. It just means He wasn't working for them. Sinning against the Holy Spirit. I hope you'll listen tonight and take to heart what God says. Let's pray. Father, thank You tonight for allowing us to be here. And it's just been a blessing to assemble with Your people. Thank You for our guests. Thank You, Father, for the privilege that's ours. Thank You for the freedoms we have in this country is this week as we will recognize another anniversary of the independence that our country um, won and fought for, that we might have many of the liberties that we have today. And we're grateful to you for those liberties. We thank you for a word from you tonight, for the very word of God that's before us. We thank you for the spirit of God that indwells us. And Father, without you, without your help, we're like tinkling cymbals and sounding brass. We need you. We need your enablement. We need your strength. We need your guidance, your comfort. We need you tonight. We pray that you would teach us tonight as you promised to. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I chose to 
begin here in Isaiah 63 because it is such, to me, a, a beautiful story of the relationship that God had with His people. And Isaiah's writing, and Isaiah is recognizing, I have many of these words underlined in my Bible. For instance, verse 7, the loving kindnesses of the Lord. Loving kindnesses. Kindness that's born out of God's love in, in, in numerous ways. The loving kindnesses of the Lord. The praises of the Lord. He mentions in verse 7, the great goodness toward the house of Israel. His mercies and the multitude of His loving kindnesses. I mean, God had been good to these people. He's just saying, He's saying, look at what all God has done for us. Sometimes God's people can sort of get um, a, a bad attitude and think, well, you know, why didn't God do this? And why didn't God do that? And, and I, we're all humans. We could have those tendencies. But I say the bottom line is, I'm just glad God didn't send me to hell. Amen. That's where I deserve to go. God's been good to us. God has been good to us in so many ways. And that's what Isaiah is recalling. He had a special relationship. And notice what it says in verse 9. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. Now one of the things I want us to carry away from this meeting tonight is to notice how God was affected by them. In verse 9 it says, when they were afflicted, he was afflicted. In other words, he... God, God had emotions and feelings about what they were going through. He felt their infirmities. He felt their weaknesses. Verse 9 says, The angel of His presence saved them. He accompanied them. He was with them. Matter of fact, we know from the Old Testament, he, when the tabernacle was moving around before the days of the temple, that the cloud would be there. They could see the cloud during the day and the fire at night, God Himself was there with them. God, God manifested His very presence in the Holy of Holies, there at the mercy seat. He, he, was, he didn't just dispatch someone to be with them. He was with them. He, he accompanied them. In verse 9 it says, He saved them in His love and His pity. He redeemed them. He cared about them. These people, were, these people were His people. They spent 400 years in Egyptian bondage. He heard their cry. He came and delivered them. And He bare them, verse 9 says, and carried them all the days of old. He cared about them. He bore them. And when I read that, I thank God for God's faithfulness to Israel, but I thank God for His faithfulness to me. His faithfulness to us. God is there with us. He didn't just dispatch an angel to watch over us, even though His angels do minister to those who are heirs of salvation. He Himself came to live within us. God Himself lives within us. And He's caring for us and nurturing us. He wants to be a part of our life, a, a vital part of our life. But as we mentioned before in verse 10, they misbehaved, they rebelled. And when they rebelled, they vexed His Holy Spirit. That's a New Testament word as well as an Old Testament word. Now what does the word vex mean? It means to hurt, to grieve, to displease. Think about this. To make sorry. God's people vexed Him. I never, I never would have understood this if it wasn't for God and the Bible. 
I never would have thought in a million years as a lost person especially that what we do as Christians affected God. I mean, most people I think think God is, God is so powerful and almighty that He, he lives in heaven. He orders the, the, the universes, the kingdoms around Him and He's untouched by what people do. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says He is grieved. We may not fully understand how that works. I don't know that I fully understand how that works, but we know it's so. You say, how do you know it's so? Because God says it's so. And He not just says it one time, He says it numerous places. Go, go to the left a little bit in Psalms to Psalm 78. Psalm 78 and just a couple of verses that use similar language. Psalm 78 and verse 40 how oft did they provoke him in the wilderness? How often? How many times did they provoke him? And that was means like they rebelled against him in the wilderness and what? Grieve him. You know what it is to grieve? Have you ever grieved over something? God grieved in the desert. Grieved him. Verse 41, yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Now this is, a, this is an important aspect of God to understand. If we're going to think about the person of the Holy Spirit, now stay with me tonight. If we're going to think about the person of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, who has been given to us to teach us, to comfort us, to lead us, to gift us, to enable us, to empower us, we don't want Him to be grieved with us. We don't want Him... To, to be displeased with us. I, I think, you know, when the Bible says when God made the first man, He made him in the image of God, I think this is one aspect of being created in God's image, and that is we are emotional creatures. God is an emotional person. He's an, an emotional deity, an emotional God. He feels. Now, I, I feel like it's important, you know, no pun intended. I feel like it's important to, to grasp this. We're thinking about how God feels. I've watched people grieve in my life. I've grieved. I've sorrowed deeply. And I've watched people grieve. And, I, and, and we're talking about a real emotion. We're talking about a real emotional feeling or pain. God has emotions. God can be angered. Are you with me? God can be angered. And God can be saddened. And what was it they did that grieved Him? Isaiah 63 says it was their rebellion. They sinned against Him. Now we're going to go to the New Testament in a moment, but think about this. They rebelled against Him. They're murmuring against God. Their, their spiritual unfaithfulness. They were like spiritual adulterers. He loved them. He blessed them. He was good to them. He was merciful to them. He redeemed them. When they hurt, he hurt. But when they disobeyed, it vexed him. Now, okay, think about this for a moment. If I were to ask a person, what do you think goes on when you sin? We would say a number of things. We would say, it could be we would say that we've given place to the devil. We've opened ourselves up to spiritual deception. We could say, 
um, that we have forfeited some of God's blessing. We could say because we've sinned, we've given occasion to the enemies of God to blaspheme. All these things are biblical. But most people, if you were to ask them, what do you think happens when you sin? Most people wouldn't say, I know it greatly saddens God when I disobey Him. But that's what the Bible says. He's grieved. The Spirit of God is grieved. That's what the word vexed. Vexed His Holy Spirit. Young person, please hear me tonight. If you think that you can say no to God or resist God or ignore God and God is indifferent to that, you're mistaken. God is not indifferent to that. God is not so far removed that it doesn't affect Him. It does affect Him. What this is talking about is how our behavior affects the Spirit of God. We're talk, we've been talking for weeks about the Holy Spirit and what he, why He's in us and what He does for us. But we can also vex Him. The very Spirit who saves us and, and as we are saying tonight, who holds us, who keeps us, He seals us until the day of redemption. That same Spirit is grieved by our behavior. Now the language in 63 in verse 10 is pretty graphic. It says in verse 10, he fought against them. Now think with me tonight. Because that may not connect in your understanding of God that God would fight against his own people. Okay, well think about the New Testament passage where it says God resisteth the proud. God resists the proud. Doesn't that sound like he fought against them? The similar kind of language? Instead of blessing them, he was working against them. I honestly believe tonight that there are a lot of God's people who believe that God wants to bless them, but I think they also kind of believe if I disobey, God's going to be neutral about it. But that's not necessarily true. Whom the Father loveth, He chastens. Right? I know that sounds harsh to some. In this culture we live in, I mean, it seems harsh to chastise or chasten somebody, but God does it in love. And by the way, parents do that in love as well, in the right way. God does not bless disobedience. He resists the proud. He's not indifferent to our rebellion. Let me ask you this. If you, if you could grasp this, that when you disobey God, when you rebel against God, that it greatly saddens Him, might, not, might that not be a motivation to do the right thing because we don't want God to be grieved with us? We need God to work. For us, we need God to work in our lives. If we're saved, we belong to Him, but He can be grieved or saddened. Now, I'm going to go to the New Testament. Join me, if you would, in the book of Acts. And I just want to point out in a, in a very general way, beginning Acts chapter 7, 
And then we're going to land at another verse in a little bit in Ephesians. But look in Acts chapter 7. Just some various ways that people sin against the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 7 and verse 51. This is Stephen's message. Stephen, who was martyred for the message that he preached. This is his message to the Jewish people. And we're just going to look at one part of that message when he really kind of brings it all home and directs it to them in a very pointed way. Acts 7 and 51. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do you. Now there's a sin against the Holy Spirit. Resisting the Holy Spirit. How did they resist Him? They would not submit to Him. They would not submit to His truth. If the, it's just, put it, to put it in our lifestyle, just imagine that you're, that you're, you're a Christian, that you really want to, you, you want to go with God, you want to obey God, you want to uh, be where God wants you to be, and God begins to deal with you about something in your life, but you resist that. Or even just imagine that you're a lost person. These people were lost people. And through the preaching of the Word of God, God gets close to you and God begins to work in your heart, but instead of you responding and yielding and obeying, you just put up a wall. You say, I don't want to go there. I'm, I'm not ready for this now. That's what they did. They resisted the Holy Spirit. He called them stiff-necked. You know what that means? That means you need to see the chiropractor. It means that you're stubborn. You've stiffened your neck. You're stubborn. And he says uncircumcised in verse 51, uncircumcised in heart and ears. They wouldn't listen. They wouldn't listen to what God had. And listen, they're not, these, these people, Stephen's preaching, and they're not liking what he's saying. So they resist him. But here's the point. They're not resisting him. They're resisting God. When you're resisting the Word of God, you're not resisting the preacher, you're resisting God. You're saying, no, I don't, God, I'm not, I don't want you doing this. And, and, P, and Stephen said this, as your fathers did, so did you. They're following in the footsteps of the generations before them. And by the way, we are, as parents, we ought to be very careful that we're not resisting God because we sure don't want our children to do the same thing. I mean, does it matter if a person resists God, does it matter to God? Well, sure it does, because God, God doesn't deal with you because He doesn't care about you. He deals with you because He does care about you. Amen. And yet we stiffen ourselves. You're in the book of Acts. Go to the left a little bit. Acts chapter 5. We're talking about different ways we can sin against the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 5. This familiar story, Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, God was working in the church in Jerusalem. And people, including Barnabas, different people are selling properties. They're bringing it to the apostles. They want to help one another through a difficult time. And Ananias and Sapphira, they sold a piece of property. Nothing wrong with that. They gave some of it to the church. Nothing wrong with that. But here's what happened. They acted like they gave it all when they only gave part of it. So they were lying. Look at the language of Acts chapter 5 and verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias... Why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? We're talking about 
sinning against God. These were sins against the Spirit of God. They lied to the Spirit of God. How did they do that? By being a hypocrite, by being dishonest. And God judged them for it. Go with me, if you would, please, to 1 Thessalonians. We're just going to look up some passages, a couple more. 1 Thessalonians. Give you just a moment to find that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Heard a good lesson from chapter 4 this morning in Sunday school about the catching away of believers. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, look in verse 19. Quench not the Spirit. What does that mean? Quench not the Spirit. It means to extinguish His, his power. It's like, it's like, you know, by more than one place in the Bible, it talks about the Spirit being like a fire. And you know what you do to, to, to put out a forest fire? You pour water on it, right? You pour water on it. You quench that flame. And, he, and here's, a, here's a short little command, of not, included with some other commands that are all quite important. 1 Thessalonians 5. Verse 16 says, Rejoice evermore. Verse 17, Pray without ceasing. Verse 18, In everything give thanks. Verse 20, Despise not prophesying. Verse 21, Prove all things. Verse 22, Abstain from all appearance of evil. All these real, short, important commands. Verse 19, Four words, Quench not the Spirit. The, this, the Spirit of God is so powerful in, in, the, in Genesis chapter 1, it says he moved upon the face of the earth. As God was, as God was beginning the creation process, the Spirit of God was involved in that. The Spirit of God quickens. The Spirit of God raises from the dead. How could you ever diminish his power? The Bible says you can quench the Spirit. You can. You can quench the Spirit. We can actually pour water on what the Spirit is wanting to do. We can hinder His work. You know, we ought to be adding fuel to the fire. We ought to want the fire to be burning. Not quenching the fire. Not putting the fire out. We want the fire to burn, to consume. Quench not the Spirit. We want the Spirit to teach us. We want the Spirit to lead us. We want the Spirit to enable us. We want the Spirit to work in our lives and work in our midst. But if we're resisting the Holy Spirit, if we're quenching the Holy Spirit, we're hindering His work. We're hindering His work. Let's go to another place. Go to the left a little bit to Ephesians. And we'll probably wrap this up there. Ephesians Chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I want to read one verse and then we'll, we'll expand the context a little bit. Ephesians chapter 4, though. Look with me in verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Look at it in your Bible. Ephesians 4.30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. He's with you for the, for the entire ride. He seals you. But don't grieve Him. Don't grieve Him. 
I, I just took a few moments uh, and looked up other places this word grieve is found in the Bible. The word that's translated from the Greek into our English language. I want to give you several places this same Greek word is used. Just listen to this. One was in John chapter 21, after the resurrection, and Jesus was talking to Peter. Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then he said, feed my sheep. You're familiar with the context. Second time he said, Simon, son, do you love me? Third time, Simon, do you love me? And the Bible says on that third time, Peter was grieved because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? It saddened Peter that Jesus was having to repeat this and drive this point home. I think one of the reasons he said it three times is because Peter denied him three times. But the sadness that he felt, that's the very same word that, that the Bible says, grieve not. Don't make the spirits saddened. Another place it was used in Jedediah taught from it this morning in Sunday school, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica about people who had died, and he said that you sorrow not, even as others who have no hope. He, he used the word to describe the sorrow we have when we lose a loved one. Same word, grieve not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can be saddened. He can be, he grieves. He grieves like a person would grieve over the loss of a loved one. There's another place that's used. It's John 16. In John 16, Jesus is dealing with the emotion the disciples were having concerning his departure from them. And he says this, sorrow hath filled your heart. I can't imagine sitting in a room understanding that Jesus, who has become our life, we've lived for Him and lived with Him and left everything for Him, and now He's going to leave. And he's, you feel this sorrow. He says, sorrow hath filled your heart. Very same word that's translated as grieve. When He says, grieve not the Spirit. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. How is it we grieve Him? If you look in Ephesians chapter 4, and just I quickly want to just point out some things in these verses to kind of give an understanding of the tenor of this passage. Ephesians 4, for instance, look in verse 25. It says, put away lying. Are you there, Ephesians 5? Look in, excuse me, Ephesians 4, 25. Verse 26, be angry and sin not. Verse 27, neither give place to the devil. Verse 28, let him that stole steal no more. Verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. And verse 30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. What do you take away from that? What is it what is it that grieves the Holy Spirit? And the general answer is, it's sin. Sin grieves Him. Sadness 
and sorrow and grief describe what our sin does to the Holy Spirit of God. He still lives within us. But when we say things that are not true, it grieves the Holy Spirit. When we hold grudges against people, it grieves the Holy Spirit. When we speak language, what he calls there in in verse 29, corrupt communication. When we're critical and negative. When we're murmuring and dishonest. It grieves the Spirit of God. When we take what doesn't belong to us, it grieves Him. When we're dishonest, it grieves Him. When we have arguing and bickering, it's called wrath and anger and clamor. Evil speaking is injurious words. And malice means the desire to see someone hurt. When we do all those things, it grieves the Spirit of God. And yet people who claim to be saved, they carry those things in their heart all the time. Bitterness, lust, dishonesty, hypocrisy. They carry those things around in their heart as though it doesn't matter to God. But God is grieved. He still lives within us, but He's saddened. God is deeply sorrowful and saddened because of what's in our heart. And people who claim to be saved act like it's nothing. We wonder, why don't we have this power in our life? Why don't we have this victory in our life? Why are we defeated so often? Why do we not have his leadership? Why is he not guiding us? Why is he not teaching us the Bible? Why is he not comforting us in our deep troubles? And we we wonder, where is he? And I say, a lot of times he's grieved. You know what? He doesn't want to just be in our life. He wants to fill our life. Be not drunk with wine or his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. He wants to fill our lives. He wants to control our life. But when we carry grudges, when we speak words that are not godly, they're not edifying, and we, we, don't, we say, who, who does it matter to? It matters to the God who lives within us. That's who it matters to. You say, well, I'm not going to say that. So-and-so might, not, so-and-so might hear me. My parents might hear me. My friend might hear me. I wouldn't want people to know that I said that. What about the one who lives within you? What about his opinion? What about how he feels? The honest truth is, and I hope this is not anybody here, but it could be. There are a lot of people who say they're saved, and they have little regard for what God thinks. And that's because God is not really real to them. He is real. He is real. People sneak around, do things. As long as I don't get caught, it's okay. It's not okay. If not, if you're saved, especially if you're saved, it's not okay. You can't get away with that. God lives within you. Look in Ephesians 4. 22 to 24, the verses just prior to the verses we just read, verse 22, notice this, that you put off concerning the former conversation, and that word conversation is like for your lifestyle and behavior, your manner of life, that you put off the old man, which is corrupt, that old sinful flesh, it's corrupt, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, in verse 23 and verse 24, you put on the new man, God will not bless the flesh. 
the old man, God will not bless it. You say, preacher, what does God want from us? I'll tell you what he wants from us. He wants to fill our lives. If you look just after this great passage here in Ephesians 4 about what God is looking for, the, there's a, another chapter begins in chapter 5, but it's good to remember that those chapter divisions are just put there for our sake. They weren't a part of the original writing and epistle. So, so this thought continues. Look in, look in verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger be put away from you. Verse 32. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Then look in chapter 5 and verse 1. Be ye therefore, just like he's been talking, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. I have written in the margin of my Bible the Greek word mimetus, M-I-M-E-T-E-S. It's like mimic. The word follower of God means like, be like an imitator of God. Hey, teenager, you know what God wants for you? He didn't just want you to, to pay attention in church. That's good. He didn't just want you to obey your parents. That's good. You know what he wants for you? You know what God wants for every teenager? That you would do everything you can to imitate Jesus Christ, to be as much like Jesus as you can be. That's what God wants. You say, preacher, I think, I think sometimes my parents want too much. Jesus, Jesus, the Bible says God wants us to be imitators of Christ. Be as much like Jesus as you can as a mom, as a dad, as a grandparent, as a single adult, as a teenager. Be as much like Jesus as you can be. That's what he wants for us. And look what he says there in chapter 5, and walk, verse 2. And walk in love. Is Christ also the loved us. Love others like God loves us. And then notice this. And hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God. He said, live like that. Live like Jesus. Give yourself away. And then look in verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. We're to live like saints because we are saints. And look at verse 4, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting which are not convenient. Our words ought to be pure. Our words ought to be guarded. Our words ought to be holy. That's what he wants from us. So, the question is, is it possible that we could be sinning against the Holy Spirit of God who lives within us? Grieve not the Spirit. Quench not the Spirit. What if, what if my sin would be hindering His work in my life? What if your sin would be hindering His work in your life? What if our sin, what if our sin grieving the Spirit of God could be hindering His work in our family? Or hindering His work in our church? Isn't that a serious matter? It's a serious matter. You say, well, preacher, what if we've done that? What if we've vexed the Spirit of God? What if we've grieved or quenched the Spirit of God? Then we need to confess our sins. We need to come to God with a heart of repentance and say, God, have mercy. God, I don't want to grieve you. I don't want you to be saddened. You know, when I was a teenager and a very rebellious one, I... Um, I didn't think about anybody but myself. And one of the things that became clear to me 
after I got saved was the way my life had hurt other people. My wife, we were married. My mother. For a lot of years, it didn't matter to me who I hurt. But I tell you, when I got saved, I didn't want to hurt people. I didn't want to make people sad. I didn't want to grieve people. And you know what? Your behavior can grieve your mom and dad and grieve other people. But I don't want my behavior to grieve God. I don't want God to be grieved by my attitudes, by my words, by my actions. What if we've grieved Him? We ought to come with a heart of repentance and confess our sin, our sin of selfishness, our sin of stubbornness and dishonesty and hypocrisy, sins of commission, that's things we do that we shouldn't, things of omission, that's things we ought to do that we're not doing. If you, if you, if you are familiar with the Bible, if you read, study your Bible, you know that Israel was never defeated because they met an army too mighty for them. They were defeated because they had offended God. I mean, they walked around Jericho every day and then seven times on the last day and shouted and the walls literally crumbled. God did that. And then they go to Ai, such a little group of people that they underestimated what might happen and they were soundly defeated. And most everybody in this room, if you thought about it, you'd know why. It's because a man by the name of Achan took something that God said, it's holy. It don't belong to you, it belongs to me. But he hid it. He wanted it. He hid it. He didn't tell anybody. He hid it in his tent. Nobody knew. You know who paid for that? Israel paid for that. Innocent men and women, innocent families paid for that. What did they do to fix it? They had to deal with it. God had to deal with that. It had to be dealt with. Yet, if we're going to get serious then we're going to have to make things right with God and make things right with others. Aren't you glad that 1 John 1-7 is in the Bible? If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. There are no such things with God as little sins. In Achan's mind, it must have been a little thing. There are no little things with God. We need the Spirit of God working in our lives. We need Him leading us. Some of you young people, you've got big decisions to make about your future, career choices. If you're ever going to get married, who to? These are big decisions. But you know what? God put the Holy Spirit in you to lead you and help you. But how is He going to lead you if you're grieving Him and quenching Him and, and, and making Him sad? He's not going to be guiding you like He wants to. If we're going to walk with Him, we have to obey Him. We can't expect God to bless us if we're not taking our sins seriously. If we're to walk in the light, or if we're to walk with Him, we have to walk in the light as He's in the light. I've enjoyed, I don't know about anybody else, but I've thoroughly enjoyed the study about the person of the Holy Spirit, how He lives in us, how He wants to fill us. But the same one who lives in us and is so a part of our life that He fills us and teaches us and comforts us, He's affected by our sin. 
He's saddened. He grieves. He mourns over our sin. And there are a lot of reasons that we ought to want to keep our life right, but there's a big one right there. I don't want God to be grieved about the way I live my life. Amen? Amen. Tonight would be a good night. Just say, Lord, search me. I, don't want, I, don't, I, don't, I want the Spirit of God filling me. I don't want to be grieving you. Would you do that tonight? If you're here tonight and you're not saved, you don't even have the Spirit in you. You're on your own. But you don't have to be on your own. Jesus wants to be a part of your life, but you've got to come to Him. You've got to swallow your pride and come to God and say, I need to be saved. And we're here to help you with that if you're serious about it. I hope you are.